Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbele, and this is being recorded live on Skype, August 8th, 2020. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. So we've had a few slight technical difficulties, let's just say that, before starting Model Rail Radio today, but we have on the one and only Mike Deverell. Mike, I've been enjoying your YouTube videos for folks listening in. What has been going on with the hobby with you currently? Well, a lot, and and not much at the same time. So, <laughs> with uh, with the uh, virus that uh, shall not be named on YouTube, uh, we've been locked down like everybody else, and so most of the stuff I've been doing has been by myself. Um, but uh, the stuff I have been working on, mostly the laser stuff, and and working on finishing up Longmont so that uh, it has a finished entirely scenic peninsula on the layout so that's pretty much what we've been doing cool and certainly i was talking with someone last week i can't recall who it was about signaling and they said that your videos were absolutely instrumental in them building their own signaling so you're inspiring people currently mike deferal with your videos well that's good that's exactly what i'm trying to do i (laughs) you know this hobby uh, is not by anyone's uh, definition dying if anything it's it certainly is exploding it's you know i i we've all talked about it we've heard this before how it's dying but uh i'm finding more and more videos out there and more and more people interested in it it's just in a different forum that's all Mm. i think the feedback that uh the listener gave was that they just were really useful videos and if they didn't understand something the first watch through they typically understood it the second watch through but i think just as a resource certainly one to recommend to other folk um when they call in and have signaling related questions and i think i mean you use arduinos right you're getting into that whole jmri arduino oh i'm using let's see i've got some arduinos i tried Mm -hmm. those out i'm right now using i found it easier to use um uh, NCE's system for my detection than the Arduino's, um, just because it's using a, a, a pre-built system that's just really simple to work with. And I found that to be the easiest. I did play around with the Arduino's. They do work. Mm-hmm. I think they would work better on a smaller layout than the distance I have to travel to move my, the cables around. Now I, I did get some additional information from someone else, but at this point in time, it's like, I don't want to go back, you know, eight months ago, nine months ago to rebuild something I already worked on. I've got a big enough yes. layout to build that it's it's just not practical sometimes. Interesting. So the difference between the NCE offering and the Arduino offering is the Arduinos are more are better on smaller layouts. I think so. And that's a wiring related thing, right? You need more wires for the Arduinos. Is that the well, issue? Well, I I wouldn't say that they're better. I would say that you know. The advantage of, of the Arduinos is, A, they're cheap. Mm-hmm. They can be very customized and be used the way you want to. And as long as you don't have to run really long runs of wire, um, the Arduino produces enough power and sends enough signal that you don't have to boost it or anything. It works just exceptionally well in those type of environments. So instead of spending, you know, for me to do my layout, I probably spent, you know, three or $400 to do it, just the detection of trains. Mm. So if you've got an Arduino and you've got a small layout and you want to run, you know, you maybe have eight or nine blocks or ten blocks, an Arduino makes more sense. You can get it for a heck of a lot less. It's easy to customize. 
and it works really well. Um, it's just a matter of scale of size. It, it's always the conversation that, that um, you know, we'll get comments every once in a while on, on the YouTube channel or something. Oh, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? Well, it's because it's so big. Mm. It, it, it does become a, a different animal when you're dealing with scale of size. Um, but if I was working on a simple shelf layout uh, that's in our average size room, I, I jump on Arduinos first. Okay, be much, much more much more comfortable to work with. But the NCE offering is more plug and play. It doesn't require. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, my time becomes more valuable sometimes. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So you, in in covering both these bases, however, my Devril, you've you've you know you've got two different viewers that are getting good stuff out of your videos. So yeah, it probably makes sense trying you know a few different solutions. Well, I. I think it's kind of funny because a lot of people see the videos and they think, well, Mike has done this right. You know how many, Tom, like like anybody who's trying something new, I probably try about 25 different ways and go, well, that's 24 ways that don't work. Yes. Or in this case, 23 and two that seem to work, but for different applications. Exactly. So interesting. Exactly. Interesting. So it's it's kind of um, like I did a, I did a video on um, – or I, I did a clinic for the NMRA on laser drawing. Mm. And that's the first time I've ever done a clinic. Mm. And so I kind of prepared it ahead of time and, and worked on it. And it was a new experience for everybody involved because I did the videos ahead of time. A, because I don't feel stressed then when I'm, when I'm working on the videos. I'm not pressured. I don't feel like there's anybody listening to me. I can just simply repeat start run again do again do it over again and be much more comfortable so i did that for the first time well they had never experienced somebody handing them here here's the videos and i'll just be live there and answer questions or maybe go over just the power the powerpoint procedure so i think you know just learning different ways to do different things i think it's important to just kind of try that and and it was new for them and new for me and we all learn something together. Mm, interesting. Interesting. So basically, you were taking your YouTube format. Was it an NMRAX? It was. Wonderful. It was. It was. And I mean, the guys that are putting that on, uh, kudos to them. I've actually sat down and enjoyed listening to a lot of excellent model railroaders oh, giving some, some super presentations. And what a resource. I mean, just... I. I was chatting with Gordy, I think last year, maybe the show before, and he confirmed there's more than 300 hours worth of material now that they have. Oh, so, from some fantastic modelers. Yeah. Too. I mean, we're not talking any slouches, but even more importantly, what I found that's really enjoyable is to see how much more is out there. Mm. You know, I, I think a lot of people, when they're saying, you know, hey, the hobby's dying, it's because they don't see these people out here and this has been a great resource to see you know yeah a lot of people that that are well known uh but in addition to it there were a lot of people that i watched that i was like wow that's that's cool that's really interesting to see something well i mean many of these names are uh, as marty mcgurk would call them podcast names i mean they're people that come on the podcast certainly i thoroughly enjoyed both Neil Erickson's clinics. I mean, he's a gentleman who's a, appeared on Model Rail Radio a few times, but may not be uh, in the annals of Model Railroader magazine. So I think what's interesting, specifically with, you know, the podcasts and to a certain extent YouTube as well, 
is that we're breaking a lot of new people into this hobby in terms of, you know, recognize them, their talent specifically, and then presenting it uh, in a format like NMRX. I, yeah, the ability just to see people's workbenches and see people working in their homes on specific things, I found really fascinating. I guess I never realized that I was a workbench aficionado until I started watching NMRX. <laughs> and now I, I love the different kind of layouts. And I mean, I really, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of food for thought there, particularly for folks that are starting in the hobby about if, if you're looking to optimize for certain building techniques, consider setting up your workbench, you know, like certain people. I mean, I found it absolutely fascinating to watch. And I think what's interesting, and Gordy spoke very candidly in my conversation with him, is that a lot of the people that say the hobby is dying, and I think that's the last time you or I should say this on this recording, Mike Deverell, these are the people that aren't backing NMRX, which is the exactly. real frustration. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, but I, yeah. I mean, and, and there's been some, some fantastic, I mean, uh, podcasts that, you know, besides this one here, I'm absolutely addicted to Mike Rose's podcast. Mm. And, oh, and yeah. he did that interview with uh, the uh, president of Walters. Yes. And um, she was just, she was just a refreshing light. It was really enjoyable to listen to it. So I, I think that Tom, not only, you know, the YouTube and the podcast and everything else, but it's just kind of interesting to hear and see different people who are actually involved in the hobby. Well, they, I mean, I think what's fascinating, I mean, I, I periodically watch James Wright's videos and he has developed inroads to a lot of the manufacturers. He recently hosted a, a group of manufacturers doing a, a virtual live product release thing to make up one of the shows. And I think, Slowly but surely, all these companies have to realize, particularly through current times, I mean, this period, this new normal that we are now experiencing is actually, particularly for companies that can embrace it, giving them a real advantage. And certainly when I look at the, you know, the small structure kit manufacturers and a wide variety of other manufacturers that have embraced online, they are doing comfortably through this period of time. And, the, you know, Walther's has to move into this area, right? They have to start being smart about this kind of thing. They, you know, so my perspective, while I agree with you, it is wonderful that these, uh, you know, companies are starting to move in this direction. 15 years is some catch-up, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> There's a lot of catch-up there. And, well, I and, think, yeah. and, and as you were pointing out, these these companies, you know, I was kind of noticing the other day, I was uh, watching uh, Andy Dorsch, and I'm trying to think of the gentleman that does the Sioux Line mm. uh, Milwaukee Road uh, Luke YouTube channel. Is can't it remember Lemons? it off the top of my name, but I was okay. kind of noticing that more and more of these small shelf layouts are putting large buildings on them. Mm. And, you know... I just think that, that this is a great opportunity. Like you say, there's, there's it with the new norm, with people looking for different things to do with, with looking for, for new ideas. There is a resource for them to just simply look at YouTube and see what people are going and going, you know, I could do something for that. Mm -hmm. It just seems, it does seem interesting to me that, that, you know, their question of how, how do we do this research and all this? And I'm like, have you looked on YouTube lately? <laughs> it's all there for you. Yes. 
many so, different versions that you can watch multiple times. Yes. Exactly. And and I just think it's really interesting to to see what's going on and and just see, you know, even listening to some of the podcasts, all these people are kind of dusting off these things that they it's been 10, 15, 20 mm. years that they've been sitting on the shelf and all of a sudden they find themselves enjoying themselves again. Yes. Kind of nice. It is. Kinda it's nice. a funny time, the new normal. It's a funny what it's shown us in a variety of different directions. But, Mike, always a pleasure catching up. Please keep doing what you're doing. I will. And thanks, Tom, for having me on. Well, you know how we do things. Please stay on the line if anything comes up. Uh, feel free to jump back in. But, yeah, pleasure catching up with you, Mike Tiffer. I would like to welcome on someone who has embraced live steam and made it a family affair. Jamie Fenton, I was really pleased to see your sister's line make the Facebook page. Can you talk a little bit about the, the things that you were doing in the garden through the summer period? Well, we uh, um, have had some uh, issues with my, my mother passing this summer, so we didn't get a chance to oh, my get the railroad. Thank you. We didn't get a chance to get the railroad really going until uh, uh, a couple of days after we had our uh, we had a brief uh, memorial in the backyard. So once mm -hmm. that was over, the clamoring, which had been going on all summer from everyone else in the family to get the ra railroad set up, finally <laughs> we acted on it. And so uh, we set it up and it had a much better build than we did last year. We got it so you can reverse and mm. a bunch of other things. We haven't run live steam yet, oh, okay. although we certainly will. Uh, right now we're just running electrical and uh, we're, you know, again, puzzling over how we can operate more than one train at the same time. So mm. we're now researching uh, the various uh, systems you can get for um, uh, radio control, battery power, and all that Definitely. stuff. So you can have one train running under that and the other train running conventionally. <laughs> so we're looking into that. Um, it's pretty much uh, assembled for the summer. And um, the other thing we're thinking about is a possible HO railroad. Mm. scale uh, Reviving the HO scale railroad, which we had f famously in our um, um, living room in back in uh, Sunnyvale. Certainly. So anyway, do yeah, you still so have parts of that? Is that reassemblable, or would that be completely from fresh if it if it was to be reassembled? Uh, the pots. Do you do still you... have it in part in in piecemeal form, oh, or okay. is it all gone? It's pretty much all gone. There may be a few bits and pieces that we saved, but all the uh, I think we have a fair amount of the track okay. saved. Okay. So we should be able to reassemble it. Of course, the, the environment we're, we're putting it into is is not real hasn't been determined yet. It's mm. um, you know it's basically you're going to get uh, mom lived in the basement, so we're now we're figuring out who gets what part of the basement mm. in the family. Because I my sister and I live together, and she has a, a couple of ch children and grandchildren and all, that all live in the uh, in the area. So it's working that all out. Interesting. Yes. So um, it's nice to get 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 out and work up with trains again. <laughs> I've been spending so much time working with uh, electronic music and that sort of stuff. So mm. it's nice to get back and <laughs> railroad. Yes. Yes. And in terms of the in terms of the summer fall, how many more months of the season do you think you have before you'll need to start coming inside? 
Oh, probably. Usually it's October. We okay. get back inside. So we get a, um, usually get an Indian summer too. So we'll, mm. we'll get a couple more months of operation out of this railroad. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yes. And the anticipation is getting live steam out shortly or? Uh, probably not immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> among other things, we, uh, w- one of the people that really loves our train is Viviana, who's my mother's great, great granddaughter. Mm. who's about seven and so she's she'll let her see the, the train in this form and then uh, you know a month later whenever she comes over again we'll run the other one and I Chicago suburbs are a, a thing of beauty for me particularly traveling by train through that area is it the kind of thing where if you were to set up the train you know the neighborhood would have a vista in or is the garden relatively secluded well it's um we actually live in the city of Chicago, and it's not a particularly big backyard. Mm. It has a lot, has a large um, patio that's been paved over, so it's terrific for just laying down the track and doing your garden railroading that way. Um, we're actually trying to keep a relatively low profile because uh, there's a lot of a lot of metal in the track, and uh, some scoundrel could steal yes. it. You don't want that to happen. <laughs> yes, yes. So we do, we try to not. We haven't done a, um, a neighborhood party or anything. Of course, you can't do that now anyway. Certainly. Weather, I mean, because of the <laughs> pandemic. So, okay. <sighs> so, electrical currently, live steam before the end of the season, one would hope. Yes, that's Wonderful. true. Yep. Wonderful. Well, I'm looking forward to getting more photos on the Facebook page as, uh, as things progress, and certainly the first live steam. Sounds like a wonderful opportunity for some photographs. So oh. in terms of the HO layout, historically, when you've done this, you've basically taken advantage of the full room. You've done kind of round the wall specifically. I mean, without a space currently, I think, what's your speculation? What, what How would you like to see? If you had your the pick of your area, what yes. would the HO layout look like? Okay, well, the, the best room for a HO layout is basically 17 feet by nine feet. Mm, interesting. And you can actually make a reasonably good walk-in layout with uh, two reversing loops mm. in, in, inside of that. So you can. Um, uh, so we've already thought about, uh, about about using that, and it has the. If you might, I don't know if you remember the Placido Southern, which is our last, previous HO railroad, but it had this terrific yard mm, that yeah, was definitely. taken from John Anderson's book. Yes, and we'd love to rebuild that because that was so it was so perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it looks like we have enough, just about enough room to be able to pull that off. Mm. So um, it looks like we'll be able to do most of what we were able to do in our living room, but in a little bit smaller space, but with walk-in. And again, it's you know it's there's a lot of uh, you know, we have a one of um, Kathy's grandchildren grandchildren lives in the other part of the basement and wants more room too so we have to mm. work, work that all out but uh, uh, we're looking forward to being able to spend the winter doing some model railroading too wonderful so yes wonderful but large like the living room these kind of things these are off limits it's going to be some room potentially part of the attic by the sense of things. Uh, sorry, some room potentially part of the some room potentially part of the basement by the sense of things. Pretty much, um, yeah. We've, we 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 had a lot of fun living in the middle of a model railroad. The apartment we have here is smaller than the apartment we left in uh, in, in San Francisco, so it would really be oppressive to uh, 
uh, to do it here. Yeah. So we're, well, the other thing we've really gotten into a lot is sim racing. Is sort of the way we've been killing time during this whole pandemic. So we have a sim racing set up in the living room too. Interesting. Yes, yes, it is. So we've been uh, getting through it, but yeah, we'll we'll see what. Uh, I'll definitely um, t- talk about the new railroad as it comes together. Very good. As it comes together, you'll you'll hear more from me. It's sort of nice to get because I was sort of spending a lot of time doing other things. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's back, good to get back into this game. Certainly, certainly. Yeah. Well, Jamie, it's always a pleasure catching up. Thank you very much for calling in today. Please stay on the line if something comes up. You know what to do. But thank you for calling in. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. like to welcome on a gentleman who I haven't had a chance to chat with for a while, but I'm always interested in the possibility of new structures. Ron Kleiss, what is going to happen with mind map models? What new structures, what new things are you thinking about putting out currently? Well, just today, I put out or made the announcement of a, a new kit coming out. In the next probably week, I'll start uh, selling it. It's a gas station. Small. It's a small gas station. Originally from like the 1920s, 30s. Um, I took the idea of two different gas stations, kind of blended them together to get mine. And uh, no, I'm happy and ecstatic the way this one turned out. It's it's a neat little kit. Yeah. I'm providing some different price ranges so people can put it in different areas of their their layouts. So Mm. it should be a good one. It's a perennial kind of thing, right? A gas station. And you seem to have picked a, you know, the era potential is there for, I mean, up until probably the 80s, you could get a that kind of era gas station quite comfortably. So interesting. Interesting. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, it's turning out good. Um, I'm going to be releasing a few uh, accessories back from when I did Tom's Top Dogs. Mm-hmm. I still haven't put a couple of them out. I have some uh, picnic tables and some dumpster little kits that I want to put out. It seems like every kit that I do, I kind of have to develop something new, and so, I use I kind of sell that as an accessory. Unfortunately, that didn't happen with the gas station. Um, no, no neat little accessories, but uh, the gas station itself is kind of it stands on its own, I guess you'd say. Hmm. And I mean, the picnic tables again, perennial can be used in a variety of of different circumstances, and probably useful kits to have just in the you know, offering. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty neat. I, that's they're some of my best sellers because they're they're a good price range. I mean, they range from seven or eight dollars up to fifteen dollars for a variety of different small things. And uh, you know, you, my most popular one now uh, has jumped up to be the the stairs set, the stairs and railings, and then also I I developed for the sunrise kit that I did, the big warehouse one. I developed a, a jig that. It holds rafters and stairs, you know, the stringers and stuff. So it holds it vertical. Like, and you can like glue on the decking or glue on the the treads for the stairs. And those two are have jumped into the lead for popularity. Very cool. Getting, getting good Very feedback cool. on it, so I'm happy about that one. So we're almost coming up to the month of kind of September, October. Another model rail radio mine mount models layout design contest. I think. Someone floated the idea of five turnouts. I thought that was a pretty good one. Do you remember yeah, the five turnout neat. idea? Yeah, that was a pretty neat idea. I like that. Kind of put a little bit of a restriction on it and make people think. Hmm. And uh, I like the idea of keeping it a little bit smaller. It seemed like the the, you know, the full room size type thing did kind of we got scare out. away some people. Yeah, we got burnt out through that. So, yeah, I think it's probably best. And, you know, five turnouts, 
could be micro layout, could be you know comfortable shelf layout, a variety of possibilities. You can get a you can get a fine layout and you know, shelf layout like you're saying maybe even a, a one by eight foot or something like that with five turnouts. You can get some serious stuff going on. I yeah. look, just check the stuff that Lance Minheim does. Oh my he does goodness. one turnout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I think we've, we haven't formally announced it, but we've certainly clued people in. So by the time the audio comes out for this, no doubt it'll be uh, October, November. Uh, but, you know, people will be, have the opportunity uh, to think more about that. And, um, yeah, I need to go through your kit offerings, actually, get a sense of uh, some of the newer offerings potentially to, you know, obviously throw on the, you know, layout design contest. Because, yeah, your, your offerings have become uh, multiple and varied. So... I'll need to re-familiarize myself. And in terms of the time frame, how many kits do you think you'll be releasing between, say, now and October? Have you got a couple more scheduled or maybe one? Uh, probably one. The next one's going to be a little bit bigger. Okay. It's going to be a, a medium-large kit. Um, I was talking with some of the... Yeah, actually, you had them on. Um, Todd and Brett Wiley oh, yeah. from HSCL Customs. Definitely. The, their podcast. Uh we're going to probably do a, a build later this year. Wonderful. And uh, I'm going to design a kit for that, and people will get in, involved in that and, uh, and purchase the kit, and then they do live builds on Gosh. their Facebook pages. So uh, And they also have a standard, really right? Four so, I mean, six weeks. Yeah, building a kit for them, as you say, four to six weeks, they have a standard. So, yeah, it's, it's got to have some meat in it, right? Even if it's a... A medium-sized kit, it still has to have a certain amount of meat for, you know, Todd and Brett's consumption. Um, yes. I mean, the first one they did, uh, they were kind of just introducing everybody. Because some, some people are veterans. Mm. Uh, you know, they've got Master Mountain Railroaders and stuff building some of these things. Yeah. And then there's new guys that have never touched a wood kit. Yeah. So their, their first build, they've done two so far, I think it is. Their first build they did, it, um, and it was the basic techniques, and, and they had three different guys doing it over three days of the week and i think it took about six weeks Gosh. for them to do like each each night would be a, a different step type thing mm. um and they did another one got a little bit more complicated so maybe this one will have a little bit more steps a little bit more um complexity to it so uh i'm excited about that it should be a fun little thing to do Certainly. so i'll make a make a special special run kit for that and i've also had the chance to tap with the uh, dazzy chain since uh since we last spoke, I've appeared on his podcast, which was very interesting. Oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta check that one out. I think I heard, did I, he I, release that one yet? Yeah, no, August first it came out. Uh, okay, I had some nice things to say about you somewhere through there. So, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it, the interesting experience with that was that he filmed me. I didn't see my video, so he filmed my video and then put it up afterwards. And a lot of times when I'm thinking and stuff. I guess I'd just look up into my, the back of my head. I was like, I need <laughs> to have see seen this video. Right? This, uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah. I was on there. I was on there a couple months ago and, uh, yeah, he was filming me, but I couldn't see what was happening. And oh, then when he put the, the video out, I'm sitting there in the corner. I'm like, Oh boy, there I am. Hopefully I didn't like, you know, pick my nose or. Well, I did, I did everything. No <laughs> nose picking around. But, and- yeah. Believe me. I was, uh, yeah, well, I've got a face for audio podcasting. What can I say? And he certainly <laughs> highlighted that. But no, some interesting stories came through that one, um, which yeah. I thought was kind of fun. And I certainly really like what he's doing. So, yeah, sometime probably in the uh, uh, October time frame, we will launch a layout design contest for 2021. I don't know if it's going to be in any way new normal themed, although five turnouts seems to work pretty well. Um, but, yeah, interesting time. So are you... You're still working the hardware store, right? Or is that 
Oh yeah, that's full time. I'm actually on vacation this week. I oh, got wonderful. another day and a half left. Gosh. So I got a lot of stuff done at the house. I I uh, cleaned out a lot of railroad magazines. I mm. tried giving them away, but then everybody wanted <laughs> me to ship them all over the place. Oh, here's, here's had, what you do. Here's what you do. You get these priority mailboxes, um, and you get the best rates. I've been shipping. I shipped twelve pounds of lead to the UK, and it cost me seventy bucks. So the priority mailboxes, they'll do it based on um, volume, not weight. So you can get away okay. with a lot with that. So, yeah, I, I might look into that a little bit. I have a few left, but mm. the majority of them I did, I they were dumpster fodder, I guess you'd mm. say. Um, <laughs> um, I, I gave a bunch away, but there are still people like, can you ship them out there? And I'm like, this box weighs 70 pounds. <laughs> well, that's the, that's the benefit of the priority mailboxes is they don't do it based on weight. They do it based on volume. Yeah. So that was one of the things that I utilized them for. And in terms of in terms of the family and stuff, is is Rachel a junior this year? Is she a senior? What's she's going into senior year, and Aiden is going to be a freshman. Gosh. It's going to be an interesting year. They're still trying to hammer out the what's happening with this whole thing. Yeah, uh, it seems like it's going to kind of be a, a split week: two days there, two days home, another day virtual, three days. Who knows? It's it changes kind of. So we're trying to figure that out. Interesting times. Interesting times. Well, thank you for calling in, Ron. Always a pleasure. Looking forward to seeing the new kit offerings, and uh, yeah, we'll need to we'll need to huddle sometime in the next couple of months and work out what the uh, the twenty twenty one layout design contest will look like. It's going to be not so big, but much better. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm thinking. Well, I mean, you have so many small offerings as well. The the ability to you know require a few picnic tables and this kind of stuff you we could go very interesting with this one so yeah many possible options everybody check out uh mymountmodels.com always a pleasure having you on ron please start the call if anything comes up you know what to do tom excellent thanks guys see you another gentleman who i haven't spoken to for a while john garrity how are things in wollongong What's going on with uh, regards to this pandemic, and uh, how is it changing your model railroading? Uh, short answer is we're more or less self-isolating, uh, more by choice than by compulsion at present. Uh, there is likely some instances of the, the virus within um, probably 50, 60K of us, which, as far as I'm concerned, is too damn close. Mm been a reasonably solitary model for a while so this hasn't greatly changed things yes um at present there's been a a major caving on the layout Ooh. um by design oh okay so so um on the underground portion the love the um coal skips disappear into a balloon loop hidden behind the back scene okay un- underground certainly uh, they then get loaded by teaspoon and emerge on another track through the same hole. But wait, there's another hole through the back scene. Mm. Uh, this represents the men and materials portal, and there's no photos that we know exist of the Coromel men and materials portal because it got very heavily overhauled in the 1960s mm. when when the two-foot gauge transport track was regauged to three foot six interesting and there was a major upgrade of what the portal looked like because they needed 
more clearance. Yes, yes. So it turned into a big concrete blob. Yeah. There's photos of that big concrete blob, and I've got some myself. <laughs> so are you going to run two eras and just have a drop down for the concrete blob, or what are you going to do? No, we're, we're stuck at 1924. So okay. I did find a photo for the number two seam mine. This existed between about 1924 and 1928. Mm. So with some kind of moving it from where we know not it is on the range, I've used it. Um, two-foot seam entrance is an example of what a men and materials portal might look like. Mm. And previously it was a straight track and the intention was to have a dumb timer on it. So periodically the train of supplies would disappear underground and wait for a while, then it would emerge back into daylight for the public to see. Mm. Sometime last year I found an outfit in the UK uh, who did some narrow-gauge wagons that looked like what the old Coromel Man rider transports looked like in the mm-hmm. 1920s. Very nice. Now, the only reference we've got is a photo of the end of one of these wagons lurking behind a locomotive in the 1950s. Mm. So I bodged some suitable-looking flat cars into some suitable-looking transport cars by fudging some seats. Mm. Now, these are longitudinal seats between the, the bulkhead ends. And I've got three of them, so by the time I put a loco on the front, I've now got two trains and one track. Sounds interesting. Uh, so, <laughs> in order to have two trains underground, there's been a roof fall, and the single track underground's been uprooted, mm-hmm. and we've punched new tracks under different roof, in inverted commas. Mm-hmm so that I've now got two tracks squeezed in that only just fit Hmm. those trains. So now I've got two trains underground and only one track outside, and I've got to come up with some way of making sure I only send one train out to the surface at a time. Hmm. And while it's out there, I don't send the other one out there. Hmm. Can you see where this is leading? Sounds like a new normal project to me. (laughs) (laughs) So... Um, I've bought another Arduino. Mm-hmm. I've already got the motor shield, which ought to be able to run um, the motors for one train. I've got another shield that clips on top of that, which lets me run a servo to throw the point. Mm. So all in all, I've got kind of the hardware. Now all I've got to do is, is work out how I'm going to get the hardware to talk to what it needs to do. Mm. Uh, plus, I'm short two locomotives. <laughs> so, um, I've got to fudge another short locomotive from somewhere. Mm. Um, and I mean, I've got probably about two inches long for this locomotive. If it, if it breaks three inches, it's going to be too long. Mm. Um, because this disappears onto the edge, or the track ends almost at the edge of the underground module. Mm. That's a four-foot drop to the floor. Mm. Yes. So, getting this sorted so the Arduino talks to the track in the correct way, uh, so that we only send one train out and bring one back and put it away where it came from, uh, and make sure that it doesn't go too far. Um, Making sure it doesn't go too far is is pretty easy because we're using DC. Mm. A diode across an isolating cut makes a pretty effective set of buffers that says 
okay, you can travel this far and no further. Certainly. Um, it'll also let you come back out without problems because the way the diode's rigged, it stops you going forwards, but it will let you come back out. So that takes up the two buffer zones where the long drop is. Mm-hmm. And there'll be another isolating cut when the loco gets clear of the portal. And it won't matter which train we send out, they're both going to pull up at the same spot beside the uh, lamp house where there's going to be a queue of miners either waiting to shove supplies on or with cap lamps and, and miners' lamps waiting to go underground. Yes, wonderful. So that's going to be on the far left-hand end of the layout as you're looking at it. So the track work went in. Uh, the weather here is absolutely abysmal at present. Yes. Uh, the last three weeks, um, we've had a series of very heavy rain bands come through, so that's cut into the modelling time. Mm. I remember those in Wollongong. Yes. Zero yes. visibility, wall of water, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fun yeah. to drive in, very fun to drive in. Yeah, well, for the uninitiated, now is about an hour south, and they've just had close on, let's see, 200 mil, what's that in inches? Eight inches of rain yes. in <laughs> under 48 hours. Yes. Uh, it's hard to imagine the wall of water phenomenon. I mean, in the US, we just don't, I mean, I'm sure there are parts of the US that get it. But certainly in California, you're lucky to get, you know, sheets of rain in very extreme circumstances. But, yeah, it's pretty well standard in your part of the world through a few months of the year, right? It can be. Um, Of course, you know, round about, yeah, round about New Year, we had bushfires within 50k of us that were about to burn us down. I inhaled some of that. Yes. So, (laughs) uh... (laughs) believe me. Yes. It, it's, it's, if nothing else, Australia is a land of contrast. You don't have to go too far to get from one contrast to another. Or you just wait in the same place. I mean, yeah. Uh, no, that's Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> well, the same could be say, said about the UK as well. So, anyway. Uh, yeah, anyway. If, if you don't like the weather in Melbourne, wait 15 minutes and it'll change. Yes. So uh, in terms uh, of in terms of some of the stuff that's being discussed, I mean... I had a wonderful conversation with Dave Falkenberg last uh, recording, and he's talking about like drop, what plug and play, not drag and drop, plug and play um, camera systems to put on the front of locomotives. Can you ever foresee a situation where, I mean, the hidden parts of Coromel are very much hidden intentionally. Can you ever foresee a situation where you would want to put, you know, detail on the internal workings of Coromel? as well, potentially for a camera car or something to go down? Um, short answer's probably not, because it's a plywood planes behind the back scene. Yes, exactly. Um, apart from underground, where the portals are. Yes. Uh, because part of the underground build is to build uh, the roof. Yes. So for it's a four-foot by two-foot module in metric imperial terms, for the first 18 inches worth of length of the four-foot length to the full depth, the two-foot wide, yes. will be under, under a foam core hood. So when someone's looking through the portals, all they're going to see is a black hole, yeah. which all adds to the illusion. So the plan is to build that out of foam core and positively locate it with a couple of embedded magnets. So yes. uh, given we've got a few spare magnets, it's not really all that difficult. 
so that'll hide virtually one third of the layout. Of course, that adds a, a different layer of difficulty because now this Arduino-controlled layout underground is hidden under the roof. You can't see whether it's working or not from where you drive the layout. Yes, that's another useful role for cameras, I guess. <laughs> Potentially, <laughs> I thought in the of putting a camera in there to make sure everything's working and doing what it should. They're becoming cheaper, and you can now get them Arduino flavored, apparently. So, yeah. Well, we're actually using cameras at the tipple. I've got a little uh, twelve-volt camera down there. It's mm. a CMOS-type camera, mm. uh, and two screens um, at the other end of the layout because I'm driving at the top of the hill the tipple's at the bottom of the hill and under a roof. Yes. So how do I know it's fired? How do I know I haven't got anything jammed up in there? So the easy way was to run some type of camera lead Mm. back up uh, to a a display panel beside where I'm driving uh, up at the top end, uh, which is around about uh, probably 12 to 15 feet away from where the the actual tip-out operation is. Well, it sounds like you've got the new normal covered, John Garrity. It sounds like you've created project work for yourself. I was really pleased through the week I got an email from the professor. So I exchanged some email (laughs) with him. I I probably scared him away. Every time I communicate with someone about what the new normal is like in California, I usually either get tears or silence. And unfortunately with the professor, I got silence. So... I think yeah. the, the concern is obviously that what we're experiencing here is only six months away from what you might be experiencing in Australia, and you wouldn't wish that on your worst enemy. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I did get some correspondence from the professor um, this week, yeah. which was really wonderful. Uh, but unfortunately, he's yet to... Now, when he hears this audio in six weeks' time, maybe he might uh, he might respond. But yeah, I think... Um, yeah, the new normal here is very different to the new normal in Australia. In fact, what's funny is a number of my uh, co-workers that uh, have family in Australia have just left for Australia. It's a bit like a kind of Eastern European pogrom of the, you know, pogrom escapees of the 1920s, just <laughs> children and what have you kind of strapped to their backs, escaping through any means necessary. But that very much is the new normal. So, Well, up until probably about four weeks back, uh, we were bumbling along quite happily. Yeah. Um, yeah, my mother lives in Sydney. She was very optimistic, and I kind of didn't want to, you know, stomp on her cloud, so to speak. But I, at the same point, you just there's not a lot of optimism. When this yeah, thing well, comes, so, the, yeah. there's an order of magnitude difference, at least, between what's happening in the US and what's currently happening in Australia. Well, three orders of magnitude, yeah, at least. So yeah, uh, yeah, like the latest step uh, release from. We've, we've, we've got problems down in Victoria. Yes. Uh, most of it's confined to Melbourne. Most of it's... And Melbourne's a city of about 5 million people. Yes. So that gives you some idea of the size of the place. It's probably about 100 mile across, probably longer if you throw in Geelong at the other end. Yes. Um, Fun to drive yeah. through. We did that... Yeah. Uh, it's, a big, it's a big area. The land area yeah. is big. Yeah. Yeah. Then you've got to dodge the trams. Amen. Um, they're running at about 400 cases a day at present. Yes. We're running, uh, I think, hang on a minute, I'll just check. Hey, do you? <laughs> New South Wales numbers, about 12 a day. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we're worried at 12 a day. Yeah. 
um, as I said, there's orders of magnitude difference between what you guys have got over in the US and what we've got in Australia. Yeah. And we're a big area in terms of land area, but we're pretty small in terms of people. There's only 25 million people in the whole of Australia, or 26 million people in the whole of Australia. Yes. Um, and the land mass is equivalent to continental USA. Yes, it is. So in terms of COVID cases per square mile, we're a long way down to the bottom of the pile. Yes. Uh, but where they are, they're reasonably concentrated. And if we, in the next fortnight, if we can get Victoria under probably 200 a day and falling, um, everyone's going to, throughout Australia, is going to breathe a massive sigh of relief. Uh, but with what we've got running in New South Wales at present, we've been able to track down very, very quickly those who've got it and where they've been. Yes. Uh, and we're catching anyone who's infected pretty quickly before they can do too much damage elsewhere. Yeah. The US has never really done contact tracing. I mean, I think yeah. it's only our area. Um, yeah. So yeah. anyway, we had we had three young lads the other weekend who went out and visited seven places of entertainment. Yes. Who, who were, um, had it and didn't know it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, we kind of get in the car and go here, we'll get in the car and go there, we'll get in the car and go somewhere else. Uh, and, yeah, around about uh, a week after they tested one, they caught one early, so that led them to the other two, and that led them to all the places that they've been and they've caught multiple cases from where they've been. Yes. So... Um, yeah. The US has never it, done it, contact tracing like that. It's not it, possible. It, it's just not possible. At 10 per day, yeah. you, you can do it. Yeah. At around about four or 500 a day, you can't do it. No. Uh, and Victoria's rapidly approaching. They're, they're down from where they were. They're up around 700 a day. They're now down at 400 a day. If they get it down to 200 a day and under, um, within a month or two, uh, they'll be back at 10 a day, if, if not less. And... Um, that's what we're hoping for, but unfortunately, we've had to shut Victoria down totally. Mm. Uh, they're in deep strife, as in an eight o'clock curfew. If you're out on the street after eight o'clock, uh, you're in trouble. Yes. Uh, and the cops aren't taking any prisoners. They'll they'll just book you, and here's a, here's a fine worth a considerable amount of money that will hit the hip pocket nerve. Yes. Um. So we're hoping that this type of stuff is restricted to Melbourne and we're hoping that it doesn't have to be applied Australia-wide because if it is, um, we're back, almost going to be back in the dark ages as far as an economy goes. Yeah, I think the the gating and the false negatives on the testing are two real weak points that Australia unfortunately just can't escape from. So next to shutting all travel down... Um, yeah, very few parts of the world can declare immunity from the current situation. And for those of us that are in the midst of the whatever, the the main part of it, mm. it's a very different normal. So apologies to the professor. Uh, I don't think I scared him. I might have scared him. Who knows? Um, but yeah. Well, <laughs> at, at present, no one's getting out of Australia because the federal government said thou shalt not fly. Yes. 
the cruise boats have been told go away and don't come back till we've got this under control. The betting is we won't be travelling anywhere till about mid-July next year by air. Yes. Uh, so that's how long the, the gates are going to come down. Anyone who comes into Australia is looking at a, a stay in a hotel for a fortnight under controlled circumstances to prove that they haven't bought anything with them. Yes. Wonderful uh, little bags of uh, like military rations that they're given. My co-workers <laughs> send photographs back of, uh, of the meal ration bags. But they're all happy to do it. They're all happy to do it. So even on their own, uh, even on their own dime, as they say in this part of the world. Joe Garrity, I don't want this thing to digress. It's been a real pleasure catching up with you. It sounds like no you've, uh, you've maximised the new normal uh, with projects and look forward to catching up with you when you uh, next call back I'll, in. Thank you. I'll put some photos in the chat shortly. Terrific. was playing a game with Chris Abbott and a few other folk, but really Chris Abbott's the only name that's applicable to Model Rail Radio, and I said to him this morning, I've wrapped Mike Slater up in some family business which exposed natures of the family that I probably shouldn't have exposed anyone to. I suspect Mike Slater may never call back into Model Rail Radio ever again, having dealt with my family. So Mike Slater, thank you firstly for calling back into Model Rail Radio. Thank you for accepting my profound apologies. Ironically, my cousin's father, my uncle, contacted me a couple of weeks afterwards trying to get me to ship stuff to in Australia. So yes, apologies for exposing you to this aspect of my wayward family, and thank you for calling back into Model Rail Radio. I'm glad we're still in speaking terms. Not a problem, Tom. So in terms of the Model Railroading hobby, you have been, you have been, I think when we last spoke, you described these things as um, three-year-old projects that you kind of rediscovered. But you've been doing some amazing, you know, painting of locomotives and, and some detailing work. Can you talk about some of the stuff you've been doing recently? Yeah, well, some of those are also uh, un- uh, forgotten projects in themselves and in some aspects. Some of them aren't. Uh, just, but then again, just with doing the other ones, they just kind of fell into place. Uh, basically, I'm taking uh, Lionel three-rail locomotives that uh, I picked up for a real cheap, uh, reasonable price on Evil Bay, as some may call it, and uh, or also also known worldwide as eBay, and uh, been repainting them into Milwaukee Road, which was the railroad that uh, when we moved to to the village of Sturdivant that we that I live in, uh, that was the railroad that I would look out my bedroom window and see every day, uh, seven days a week, multiple times a day. So it. Uh, it started off a couple years back. I did a couple and then picked up a couple more on Evil Bay real cheap. And next, you know, it's doing different variants of locomotives. And then uh, a, a new uh, form company in Wisconsin called um, Lines West Products. He primarily, uh, his 99.9% of his product line is all Milwaukee Road-based product. And about a year ago, he came out with 3D-printed HO scale conversion kits to convert the Walthers or uh, the old Proto 2000 Jeep 7s and Jeep 9s into what Milwaukee Road uh, rebuilt them into uh, what they called a Jeep 20, even though it didn't look like the Jeep 20 that EMD offered. Um, what's but the difference here? What, what are the elements that you need to add to make the conversion? 
Well, it's uh, the the kit comes with a uh, a cab and uh, a few other little detail bits. Uh, there, uh, there is a different variants of uh, air filter hatches at the Milwaukee Road added that a lot of different railroads when they were rebuilding their old their older Jeep sevens and Jeep nines uh, added uh, to their rebuilds. Uh, but the the biggest spotting feature for the Milwaukee Roads. Uh, uh, rebuild was their unique uh, cab modification from when they chopped the short uh, hood to uh, a lower hood and then added uh, cab windows like a lot of the locomotives that were being delivered by the locomotive builders in the 60s and in the 70s for better visibility for the engineer and conductor on, on the train. But the Milwaukee Road, when they did uh, their first four, uh, being uh, America's Resourceful Railroad, which AKA Resourceful also is another <laughs> sometimes term for being cheap. Yes. Uh, when when they chopped the the nose on the locomotives, they kept the number boards on the upper portion of the hood, and when they cut out the lower portion, they just dropped it down so it it had the number boards in the lower hood. Uh, after the first four. Um, I don't know if there was government regulations that prevented the placement of the number boards being that low, but the uh, the later locomotives had the number boards up high on the cab, kind of like all the other locomotive offerings by both EMD, Elko, and mm-hmm. uh, General Electric at the time. But when the unlike all the other manufact or other railroads that did their own chop nosing, uh, the top of the number boards were rounded with the cab. And Milwaukee Road, not wanting to form a roll portion on the steel, they kept it flat. So, and then they had a kind of an odd transition from the flat area to the, the rounded roof of the cab on the the Jeep twenties, uh, and also the rebuilds of the SD sevens and nines. They call those SD tens, and so kind of a unique cab. Um, I've known several people that have kit bashed this locomotive's cab. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it can be somewhat of a, uh, for keeping things, uh, kosher, uh, a PIA. Um, and I think those that can figure it out will figure out what PIA stands for. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but with the 3D printed conversion kit, um, it, uh, makes it a lot easier. Well, there, a friend of mine that's, uh, in two real scale, he contacted, uh, Lines West and said, can you offer this in O scale? Because I want to have this in O scale. Yeah. And I was thinking about contacting uh, the owner of Lines West also and kind of saying, hey, can you do this? Uh, the O scale uh, kit is designed to be used with the Red Caboose uh, kit, which that tooling was picked up by Atlas for their O scale offerings. So that should be a pretty straightforward uh, conversion there. But uh, me being difficult, I wanted to use it with uh, the Lionel uh, Jeep 7.9s that they offered. And I had to do a little bit of modification to the the Lionel shell and a little bit of modification to the Lions West conversion kit because uh, his kit was designed for a slip fit into the the, uh, Red Caboose kit. But uh, I got it to work with the Lionel shell and... I got it all painted and decaled. The only downfall with my particular Jeep 20 is I have to have it on an un- unpowered chassis because where Lionel had their, their driveline designed, 
and it should probably be also the same case with the Atlas, uh, is that the the motor uh, in the cab area or towards the cab area, especially on the line L, it would be halfway in the cab area and halfway in the low nose Interesting. area. So mm. uh, uh, several people say, well, just take the front motor out. But unfortunately, with the line L, with their three-rail electronics, is they have a tack sensor for speed and noise control mm-hmm. uh, with their electronics that's, of course, on the front motor. Of course, I could have moved the front motor to the back position, but then that would have meant snipping wires and extending wires. Oh. And, and yeah, I, I just want to have fun. I I had a couple dummy uh, Jeep 7s and 9s in their scale uh, size shell offering, so I just decided that one of those would uh, uh, become the Jeep 20, and then the the power chassis would be just an unrebuilt uh, Jeep 9. Mm. Uh, so, and then another project that I just kind of started playing with my 3D printer and my CAD software Ooh. is um, making a late version, later version Jeep 9 that the Milwaukee Road had. And then instead of having the, the two uh, fans over each radiator section, they only had a single cooling fan. Mm. So that meant... Uh, uh, luckily, one of the, the hatches where the two fans is, is is a separate piece that's held in by some magnets. Mm. So that, that, that hatch is easy to design. The other one uh, is molded in. So that one I had to design some 3D plugs to glue in and then drill a, a new hole. And uh, I had one shell here that uh, I consider the, the sacrificial lamb that if it uh, <laughs> got ruined, it, it was no big deal because I've already been cutting... Small details off of it for other locomotives, so pre-cannibalized. Yes, <laughs> so I uh, I uh, have the process down now and ordered uh, two more shells off of Evil Bay, mm. and um, I will be taking one of those shells, and it'll be well, maybe both of them might get converted to the late phase uh, Jeep Nine as Milwaukee Road had both dynamic and non-dynamic versions of those locomotives, so. That'll give me another unique locomotive that uh, uh, nobody else running three rail lino OGH trains uh, would have. Hmm. And in terms of the Milwaukee Road, I mean, this is something that is obviously very central to your, you know, your love of the hobby. And also, it's interesting now that there's a sufficient, you know, a sufficient crew of Milwaukee Road folk that they can make these, you know, modification parts. And historically, I guess the people that did it by hand, it sounds like a lot of angles and a lot of fiddly work from what you were describing. So interesting, interesting. Do you have a, do you have like, I don't know, a a wall shelf of Milwaukee Road stuff that you put on display? Do you, do you show this outside in any way or do you have it all squirreled away in, in boxes? Well, unfortunately a lot of it's squirreled away in boxes, but when we can get to a, a norm where I feel comfortable on reopening up the Caboose Museum in mm. the Village of Sturdivant. Uh, last year, I actually took down the, the uh, G-scale loop of track inside the Caboose and put in three-rail O-gauge track. So that I think will... I've seen photos of that. Yeah, yes, yes. Interesting. So that, that, that'll allow me to uh, actually take some of these creations and... Uh, when I'm sitting in the caboose and nobody's uh, around, I can uh, run and make noise. And then when people show up, if they want to see the train run around, I'll run it around for them for a bit. And uh, but uh, it uh, and then I in the years past when I 
uh, also participated more with the three-row O-Gage club that I belong to. Mm. I would take a lot of these custom paint jobs and have them running uh, during Train Fest. Wonderful. Wonderful. But, uh, so let's talk a little bit about that, <laughs> the, uh, the virtual train show in the room. I was talking with Gordy Robinson last recording, I think, and he mentioned that uh, he had proposed something for Train Fest, a virtual Train Fest. Are you still in communication with Gordy? Is that still something that's going on, or what? what I mean, it may not even need to be aired if you don't want to air oh, it. No. We won't air it. No, no. Uh, in fact, uh, with everything that was going on with Gordy with uh, the national convention and that, I I didn't want to pester him too much with it because I figured he had that, and then he mm-hmm. had the southeast region. Oh yeah. Uh, so I just kind of figured let him get through uh, that uh, week and uh, a day uh, worth of uh, live NMRA events and I actually contacted him a few weeks back and because uh, I had typed up a letter which I'll be sending out to manufacturers uh, and I just wanted to make sure that I had all the technical points for that uh, for uh, what he was kind of proposing and that correct and as far as videos and stuff like mm. that and uh, he looked over my comments and he said yep that all looks good what? as far as that Cool. And because um, I, uh, I didn't, I didn't want uh, him and his team to have to try to find clinicians in that, and I wanted to try to find as much of that as I could yeah, on, on my end definitely. and take off some of the load for him. Yeah. Because um, why should uh, we basically put everything on, onto them when it's actually our event? And uh, so, but uh, no, that letter should be going. I wanted to get it out uh, last weekend, but uh, uh, I'll probably. Um, get it ready for release uh, and have our one uh, person on the board of directors uh, send that out to all our manufacturers, uh, hopefully this coming week. Cool. Very good. Um, yeah, I got to this month's issue of Bottle Railroader and opened it up, and uh, the Train Fest announcement in there made me smile a little bit. I thought the, uh, the what was, the, they used some terminology, and I thought, that's just Mike Slater and his buddies, right? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I guess I guess I'll have to pick up a copy of MR since I don't subscribe to oh, it. Oh, look, I can I'll I'll send a photo of it. I should have it close okay. by actually. I had it. I, it's normally bedside reading, so I can probably um, yeah. When this is done, I'll take a photograph of it because it certainly sure. brought a smile to my face. Thinking um, this sounds very official, but no, that, knowing you, Mike Slater, I know exactly what's going on. So wonderful. <laughs> so it sounds like yeah. I I anticipated that was the case when I spoke to. Uh, Gordy last week, I just said I thought that, yeah, that was probably what you said was the case, so it's good that that was actually yeah, the case. But, uh, but I'm trying to get something where, uh, kind of along the lines of what Train World did uh, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, with, with James Wright, uh, yeah. you, know, you know, just because Train Fest is one of the three major events or shows throughout the year here in the U.S. that manufacturers announce new product. Yes. I, I still, because I know all these manufacturers have built up, you know, for a new product announcement at Train Fest, and, you know, we pulled the rug out underneath them because of the uh, not having the facility available to us. Well, so I, I, I still, mean, look, still, they have to anticipate this kind of stuff, too. I yeah. don't think it's necessarily... No one is to blame here, Mike Slater. I think, actually, this could be a really good opportunity for them to, uh, you know, display their wares in a different forum. Yeah, and uh, so that that's one aspect. So, yeah, Train Fest. Uh, virtual or Train Fest X, I guess, is, is what we're going to kind of term it as. Uh, powered powered by NMREX uh, yes. for all the technical, uh, since they uh, have a better grasp on 
the technical end than I would. Mm. Um, but uh, no, I think it's going to be a great event uh, for that. Uh, and we are, for as far as our division locally, we are uh, planning on trying to have a few uh, in-person events, and that just because usually our numbers are small enough that, mm-hmm. uh, and the one venue which would be what we're planning in September towards the end of September is a railroad prototype modelers meet. Wonderful. Uh, uh, being that again, the numbers should be small enough. The hotel that we normally rent the smaller rooms from, uh, they said, no, we're going to give you the larger, uh, banquet Tough. hall. Tough. Uh, so you can have social distancing at yeah. no additional cost. Wonderful. Um, so it, uh, so we're, we're looking at trying to do some things in person. We'll probably cut back on the number of events that we do in person, but we're going to try to, if, if possible, do it as long as our local governments will allow us yep. to do that. Certainly. Um, and, uh, but no, it's uh, I think been uh, uh, pretty good all all the way around. The reception from people in the area have been good and positive, and they're all understanding of everything that's going on. Mm. Uh, so that, that's a positive uh, thing. So I'll, I will probably run for re-election uh, this coming spring and go at it for another two years, where I can then uh, uh, allow somebody else to have fun at at the uh, at the reins. Well, Mike Slater, pleasure as always catching up. Thank you very much for calling in today. We've got a, a few other folk to chat with, but, uh, yeah, wonderful to get your update, and thank you for posting as well the photos of your modifications. Always fascinating to see your handiwork. Yeah. I'd like to welcome on a gentleman who's been on the pulse of NMRAX, but more recently, we we started speculation associated with his sanity with these HO vehicles. I've watched Luke Chowan's amazing example of how to build one of these things, and I thought immediately, I mean, few things can make me feel sick to my stomach, like dealing with absolutely tiny tweezers and uh, bits of bronze and a variety of other bits and pieces. How many of these vehicles have you made, Martin Jenkins? Uh, I'm up to my third one now. Right. I've got a, uh, I've got my first complete scratch build. I've started to pull apart and make some steering mechanism for, and that's a uh, XD Ford Falcon, so an Australian XD Ford Falcon. Uh, but mm. I've got a Mercedes uh, here that I've finished off. Uh, I've got a Porsche race car here I've finished off. Um, they were both kits from uh, from uh, my mate over in Hong Kong. Mm. The video that Luke had, I've actually sent him a couple of uh, uh, bits and pieces because he's joined our uh, NMRA division now here. Mm. Um, and um, that's a, uh, a DAS 87 uh, model that he put together. Uh, they're good, but they require a lot of work and they don't have all the features that... The uh, the inventor development workshops uh, ones have. So, what are the distinctions? Uh, what what are the what are the benefits that the ones that you get have? Uh, the ones that I get are built to the chassis are actually built so they accept, uh, say, a Bush or a, a Burkina or a, a high end quality models shell. Mm. So you end up with a whereas the Das eighty seven are all three D printed shells. Mm. The four-wheel drive range in inventor development has fully independent suspension on each wheel. Always important, and, yes. 
and it has two operating diffs. He's the only guy that's made Ooh. a differential that will work in HO, and that's the that's the big difference between the two. Uh, if you look at Luke's video where he's actually driving the car down his dirt road, you can see it bounces from side to side. Certainly, yeah. Whereas if you watch the one, the videos on Inventor Development, uh, you actually, he's got it going over a dirt path. Yes. You actually see the wheels are actually moving. So, uh, you know, it, it looks a little more like a real car. Plus, there's no LEDs in the DAS 87 models uh, due to the electronics that are in them. Uh, whereas uh, I use the Deltang decoders, mm. and we've got 17 LEDs oh, in the... In the uh, Merc four-wheel drive, it's got uh, high-low uh, high-low beam headlights, uh, <laughs> driving lights. It's got, got indicators on the front right-hand corner, on the wing mirror, and on the back corners. Uh -huh. uh, it's got a brake light uh, up in the the middle of the back windscreen or the back window. Yes, and uh, it's got tail lights, operating brake lights, and reversing lights. Yes. And the other thing as well is when you um, operate the indicators on the, the vehicle, they've got auto-cancelling. So when you turn the wheels to the right, you put the right-hand indicator on, turn the wheels to the right, then turn them straight, and it automatically turns the indicators off. So, yeah. So they're a, bit, they're a little bit more refined, the inventor development kits, than the DAS 87 kits. Yes. Um. I spoke to a couple of people online because I was going to buy the DAS 87 Land Rover at Luke built. Yes. And they said, no, no, don't, don't wait. Wait till Inventor Development brings one out. It'll be a lot better, a lot less work. It uh, does seem like a lot of work. I mean, that's, this, I mean, you've described Inventor Development's kits versus the stuff that Luke built. And it did, Luke's stuff seemed like a lot of work. It is, um, the DAS 87s, you've got to assemble everything. Mm. Uh, whereas the inventor development workshop ones, the chassis comes with all the mechanics pre-assembled and fine-tuned. Yeah. So you get a chassis with the wheels, the drivetrain, everything already built into it, all ready to go. You just got to put the electronics in there, mm. which is enough of a challenge on its own. Yeah. Uh, but, um, the reason he does that is, um, the DAS 87 range of vehicles, most of things like the gears and the drives, they're all I think they're all 3D printed yes. or they're cast, whereas Chi um, at Inventor Development, he actually machines all the parts. So all the gears are actually, because he's a watchmaker by trade, so yeah. he's got CNC uh, machinery <laughs> there to cut watch gears and the like. So, you know, everything that he's done is, it, it just seems to fit, drive, and look better than the DAS 87s. Interesting. And, and then, of course, the scratch-built stuff. Um, yes. I'm buying the stuff out of Germany. Um, there's a place I found in Germany that uh, sells all the different types of drivetrains, steering mechanisms, and bits and pieces. So uh, I've ordered a drivetrain off them and a steering mechanism, and that's what I'm trying to get into this Ford Falcon. But mm. uh, the Ford Falcon might end up turning into a Ford Falcon panel van. Because oh, it's, it's a bit hard to get the motor in the back. The, the, <laughs> the distance you got for where the boot is and the rear axle, yeah, it's a bit um, a bit tight there. So yes, 
And you've, you've got to keep a lead for the, what are they, Winfield Reds that the driver's smoking as well. Yeah, so. that's right. We'll, we'll have to have someone in there with a packet of Winnie Blues up underneath <laughs> his shirt sleeve like they all used to do yes. back in the day. I'm into that. I'm into that. Yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to, uh, to yeah, seeing you kind of mullet it up. I think that is definitely necessary for these kind of things. So in terms of the, in terms of the offerings, the vehicle offerings, it's not extensive enough for what you want to be doing. So you're always going to be going to, uh, I mean, are you, are you going to start 3D printing your own prototypical vehicles or is, is that not necessary? No, I, I, I kind of, the the 3D printing is good for parts for the, for the vehicles, Mm. but, um, in the stuff that I've looked at and the stuff that I want to build, because uh, the the idea behind it is I've got one of the um, Halgen container cranes here, which is the DCC controllable uh, container crane. Yeah. So the idea is the intermodal yard will actually, um, you'll come in, they'll they'll spot the cars in the intermodal yard, you'll unload them on the crane onto semi-trailers, the semi-trailers will drive to the industry, and then there'll be a fork truck at the industry or some means at the industry of getting the containers off the truck. So that's how I want to try and aim running the operating sessions. So with that, there's a number of different vehicles and um, bits and pieces that I want to build up. And most of them, the 3D printed bodies and the likes, they, they kind of, uh, uh, they don't really, they don't have the detail. So I'm kind of looking at getting um, Burkina Weeking or, you know, a high quality um German probably manufactured model, and then mod- using the uh, detail parts off that to uh, to make the model. Uh, but the chassis underneath will be all brass, either DAS eighty seven or uh, Inventor Development Workshop. Interesting. And when I mean, this is moving into kind of swarm AI. If you if you're dealing with you know twenty of these things running on your layout, where does that go? How do you how do you actually do this with multiple vehicles, like vast numbers of vehicles? Uh, well, each vehicle has its own um, its own channel. How how the RC equipment kind of works these days is um, uh, it's all it's like our hobby. It's all gone digital. Certainly. So in the old days, like I used to fly radio controlled planes when I was in my teens and mm-hmm. the likes. And uh, if you're building another plane, you'd have to get you buy a set of radio gear, and it would have a matched receiver yes. within the uh, radio gear that um, would work with the crystal set of that transmitter. And basically, you had one transmitter for every model that you that you had. Um, these days, now the transmitters are digital, mm. and when you buy the receivers, you actually they've got a unique number in them. And you actually pair them up like you would pair a Bluetooth device to your phone. Certainly. Uh, so one transmitter can run up to twenty. Like the one I've got here runs up to twenty models. Mm. And in the display, you can put a little image of what the model is and the name and, and the likes. You can then switch from model to model while you're actually running them. Mm. So you could have one guy drive the truck, the truck from the intermodal to the industry. Uh, stop there, change the model over to the forklift, change his containers over, put and then change it back to the truck and drive the truck back to the uh, intermodal yard. Yeah. But, I mean, for what you're describing just in terms of, like, panel vans and things like that, I mean, there's the, you have, like, functioning things like the truck, and then you just have, like, road traffic, don't you? 
Well, that's the thing I'm looking at now, which means you need to employ something like the Fowler car system or mm. just to have that generic moving traffic that you've got to move around. I don't know whether I'm going to go that far into it yeah. and put a Fowler car system in there as well, because knowing me, it wouldn't be just a Fowler car system. I'd have to get the <laughs> electronics to the RC stuff to, to yes. make the indicators and everything move. And yeah, um, I'm sorry to cut in here, guys. We do not need to hear any of this. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, trying to tempt Clark into the dark art of uh, RC cars. Yeah, or at least model railroad. You see, in the entryway of RC cars and model railroading, I guess pretty soon, I'm not sure if you've looked at RC planes recently, but they're all with um, drone, you know, copter motors. Yes, and the price yes. in that and the, the servos and everything has come down. It's only a matter of time before people, and, you know, obviously in Germany and what have you, they already have flying planes, although they're kind of slightly fake. But, yeah, yeah. I foresee all these hobbies intersecting in some amazing AI-controlled thing that has planes, trains, automobiles, et al. Only well, a matter of time, uh, Clark. Only a matter well, of time. <laughs> When you uh, when you see the, I mean, if you just go back five years and then you look at the technology, it's in some of these um, RC vehicles. I mean, just the fact you can buy the little Deltang um, receivers that we use, they come out of the UK. Yes. Uh, they're made in the UK. They make a train, radio train system, which I think some of the G-Gage and uh, mm. uh, Dead Rail people use. But the receiver itself, like the one I've uh, got here, has got, two H-Bridge motor drives, so it can run two motors. You can get one up to four H-Bridge motor drives. Mm. It'll run eight different LED circuits. Uh, it'll run two servos. It's 29-gig um, RC uh, receiver, mm. um, and it's 9 millimeters by 9 millimeters and costs $40. Mm. So <laughs> the price of this stuff is going to, you know, this... We're at the, the uh, sort of the bleeding edge of it at the moment with the introduction of this technology, but 10 years' time, you'll buy that for $5. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be half the size again. Yeah. No, um, it's insane. The whole thing's insane. I mean, I, I built... The last RC plane I built was about 20 years ago, yep. and the servos, the motor, everything is now like a tenth the price, more, less even. You know, the servos have just dropped in price dramatically. It's really... Because they still offer the old high price servers as well. Uh, yes. <laughs> and yes, you're looking at them, you're yes. like, what, what, what has happened here? Like, why are the drone servers, which are basically exactly the same, if not machine better, uh, you know, and they're still offering the Futaba, you know, high end stuff as well. Interesting but, times. Uh, Interesting times the, by the Jenkins. The servos that, I'm, that you use in these, the, I, until I got into this, I didn't realize they made servos so small. I mm. thought, like the nine millimeter servo that we use to uh, move our points and bits and pieces, mm -hmm. I thought that was like getting down to the smallest ones you could get. Oh no! Uh, but these are nano servos, yes, which are smaller than my my thumbnail. Um, <laughs> you know, so even the actual servo itself has become microscopic, basically uh, um, uh, these days. You know, so yes. yeah, it's. Uh, it's been a, a fun game. I've been playing with that, and I've also been playing with some uh, cameras because we're getting uh, going to get uh, things set up here for remote ops when uh, 
we start building. So I've so been let's researching. talk a little bit about this because I was talking with Dave Falkenberg last recording, and yep. they are developing uh, everything off the shelf, like nothing really that you have to do, kind of drop and play solution with uh, either a car or a, a locomotive with a camera in the front. They're using the cameras with built-in Arduinos. I mean, it's just amazing the technology. Again, absolutely, you know, <laughs> no money in order to create these things. Are you basically following? Are you following what Silicon Valley Lines is doing, or are you taking? Uh, what, what are you building in this light? Okay, well, what? Um, well, Brad and myself and Gordy, to a certain extent, mm. um, we've been setting our layup so that we can each remote operate them. Yes. Um, we've been using JMRI web server, so we've each created web pages for each our layout. And on the web pages, you've got live video feeds from around. So I've got a hidden storage area, which I've built at the moment. So I'm putting cameras in there, which are Wi-Fi. Um, I'm using the I know Silicon Valley lines were using like the Raspberry Pi Zeros mm. and the CB2640 cameras. Um, I've gone down a bit smaller and I'm using the ESP32 cams. Interesting. Um, which are about a third of the size of the Raspberry Pi Zero. Yes. Again. And, um, yeah, last night we had them going here. We had about two or three of them going at the same time. And, yeah, you, you, you've got virtually HD video coming straight out of them. Yeah. Uh, I got some of these fisheye glass lenses uh, from Banggood. Mm-hmm. And they work absolutely brilliant. So we're probably going to—I'm probably going to be putting about five of these in the hidden storage area. Wonderful. Whoever's dispatching in the um, JMRI panel—it's actually got the videos from because uh, I've got uh, an eight-yard storage in the hidden storage underneath. Plus, then there's a double crossover where it goes from the yard feed into the ramp feed. Yeah. And then across to the ramps where it actually then comes up onto the onto the layout. So mm. I'm putting cameras in each of those areas so that they can actually see the physical the points have physically Certainly. moved. And if we get a derailment or something there, they can uh, they can stop things uh, while they're running it. But um, they go into the panel in JMRI and sit at the bottom. Uh, we've uh, Brad's found some uh, communication software which we're using, which allows us to actually put a push-to-talk button mm. on top of the engine on top of the engine driver uh, throttle. So on your throttle of your mobile phone, you actually have a push-to-talk. Yes. You'll push that, and that runs to the PC, which then talks. We've got a two-way radio with uh, Vox turned on on it, which mm-hmm. then transmits to the radios in the room. Wonderful. So someone remote operating can actually from their device talk on the two-way system uh back and back to the room so the idea is we'd have the engineers remote and uh, the conductor or whatever in yes. the uh, in the actual room doing the doing the switching wonderful wonderful and it seems to work brad and i've done some trials between lismore and the gold coast and mm. it works on that distance so the next thing is gordy's busily building his layout at the moment <laughs> and um uh, we've done no scenery, no buildings. Come on, let's get straight into the op session. Oh, let's see if we can remote connect and uh, and do it. Uh, I had a message from Dave Abley's actually the other week. Uh, he was going to organise an op session, and Brad and I were going to see if we could uh, be engineers from Australia. Wonderful. Uh, 
and uh, see if the see what the lag would be like. Yeah, well, I mean, this this is the next stage, right? People have to start testing this stuff out and work out, you know, lag issues and these kind of things. And certainly, I think when we first spoke to Gordy, he said just put cameras at rail fanning points. Made yes. perfect sense. Yeah. Made perfect sense. Well, that's what I'm going to be doing on Melbourne 83. I'll actually have webcams. I've got a. I've got a few sites, like I've got a um, one where I've actually had a bit of an experiment here. I've got a diner; it looks out over mm. the over the yards or over the track. Yeah. So I'm going to mount a camera inside the diner, where you'll actually have the shot of the people sitting at a table and chair looking out the window at the trains going past. Because um, all the buildings that I've done, I've used um, glass slide. Um, covers as the windows mm, yes and mounting the camera in there it, it really makes it look uh like you're actually inside the building certainly uh, and we've got a couple of other little plans on the way we've got a motel scene where uh they're making a making an adult movie but unless you actually watch it on video you <laughs> won't actually see it <laughs> martin 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 look uh, before you go I did want to do one thing, and I wanted to bring in Clark Cooning for this as well. So this is a perfect kind of end of the show. Clark Cooning, do you have audio? Clark Cooning, Clark Cooning. He's probably run away because we were talking about remote control cars. Yeah. I yeah. Okay, I, Clark. I, I was trying to turn off my TV at the same time. Don't worry, don't worry. And Marty, I told you, don't bring this subject up again. <laughs> <laughs> he... After we talked the last time, I must have spent two weeks looking at all the oh websites and researching, and, oh and I said, oh, my God, what am I doing? Get out of this. <laughs> I mean, my view is that it takes folks such as um, Jenkins to build these things so we can then give these people vastly less money than their time and energy is worth to have one of these things assembled. I mean, the... The economy of scale here to have just, it's like, you know, it's like a friend getting a 3D printer, right? This is the perfect economy of scale. Having Martin Jenkins perfecting this perfect economy of scale, we know who we can go to. We know who we can hand over the money to and who will present us with the finished thing. So a topic that I wanted to talk about with you both and, um, Kai Kooning, we have perfected the new normal sushi. The trick oh, is, no. the trick is you camp outside the restaurant, you pick the sushi up. You pump up the air conditioning and you eat it in the car. Did it today. <laughs> Works wonders. Anyway, more seriously, I was chatting with Gordy Robinson last recording. And the thing that fascinated me, because I'd also spoke to Dazzy J uh, a week prior, is the stuff that's going on with NMRAX currently just makes so much sense. But at the same point, NMRA board, bunch of other stuff going on there, really just stuff that seems like nonsense in terms of the immense positive energy that has gone um, into NMRX. Martin, you probably keep away from the politics probably very wisely associated with this, but you're very much involved with NMRX. What what would your advice be here, Clark, associated with this thing? I mean, you may not have f followed the nuances, but just what, what would your advice be in these circumstances? Well, I'm not sure what the discussion was, so I, I didn't listen to I it. I think the... Fair enough. As I have dated it and put it out, that's probably a very good start. I think it's been talked about in a few other areas, and I talked a little bit about it in um, the Dazzy J piece. But it's just basically the NMRA saying, okay, if you're going to do NMRAX in the future, it needs to be behind a paywall. And basically a lot of the positivity 
that had come through the initial series, now the NMRA behaving more like a kind of insular NMRA rather than, you know, Gordy's protection. But the same point, and Martin can attest to this, NMRX is coming to the point where it really needs service space. It needs technical. It needs to move from strictly amateur to slightly more professional amateur in order just to have the service space and things laid out. And I think Gordy has done amazing proof of concept, more than 300 hours worth of, of stuff, amazing work. But now it's getting to the point where I think he, well, he might already be doing this with things like train fest and what have you outside the NMRA showing the value of what he's doing and everyone kind of creates their own pattern of, of how to put it together. But I just, the energy that Gordy has, and also we were talking about um, Open LCB, for example, how they were very successful in getting their stuff into the NMRA. But there just seems to be a couple of missteps here on NMRA X with the NMRA itself. We've talked about this historically, Clark. If you're not familiar with any of this, we can talk about picking up sushi or something like that. <laughs> if, if you're not up to speed with it. Um, well, yeah, I'd be hesitant to get in on this conversation because okay. I'm not. However, I and I've had a little bit of discussion with Gordy myself mm. on on. Uh, at, I see it as a great tool, but there comes a time when I really think it should be an NRA membership bonus mm. or benefit. Yeah, I I think it's. It is a benefit, and by joining the NMRA, you you get to take part in it. Interesting. Um, because I think I, you know, I would like. Now, this is just off the top of my head, and mm-hmm. this is just from from a quick view, and I haven't studied it. So, if somebody says, "Oh, you said this on Model Railroad," I'd go, "Well, hold on, that was yes. at the time. all caveats in place, Clark." Yes. So I I would like to see some kind of um, hybrid of it mm. where there is some on for the general public and then some of it is strictly for members because mm. I I'd like to see us uh, I think this is a great format in the in the times we're at and I'd like this I like to see you know. People say, "Well, what is in the NMRA from you, from for me to join?" Well, yes. here it is, you know. And, uh, and so, Martin, I like in this. terms in terms of your involvement, Martin, do you get a sense that there is going to be, you know, maybe three different offerings here: the NMRA offering behind the paywall, something that's public facing, which Gordy can kind of frame, perhaps with you, and potentially also things like, I mean, technically, Train Fest is. Kind of, I mean, Trainfest is obviously connected to the NMRA, but Trainfest is a kind of commercial thing as well. No, it it is and it isn't. Mm. It Trainfest is owned by a a division. Yes, certainly. Of the NMRA. Yeah. So it is. It 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 functions somewhat. Uh, even though it's separate, it does function under some on um, NMRA umbrellas. So you have mm. to be very careful there. Yeah, certainly, certainly. But do you think? Um, and maybe this is a question for Mike Slater as well. I mean, Martin, you you didn't have a chance to answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, 
my thoughts on on NMRAX, yes, we we getting pushed from from the board, or well, Gordy's getting pushed from the board. I like I said, I don't. Uh, I didn't really want to partake of the uh, the political side of it. I mean, uh, all I want to try and do is the production side mm. of it, and uh, and get that as, as I want to get it slicker, but I don't want it to lose that that amateur feel. Yeah. Uh, if you, I don't want it to turn into a TV, a, a Saturday, you know, t, a, you know, a, a Tonight Show, um, or a, or a, you know what I mean? Like, I know what you mean. No, exactly. Yeah. No, I know. I want to still keep that uh, that 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 one that's being done by modelers for modelers. But um, I met Gordy back in no, uh, what was it, 2018, when we were at uh, Kansas City. Mm. And we'd just done uh, our convention here. Well, we were about to have our convention here, and I did a couple of live clinics in it. I got Ralph Renzetti did one, Wonderful. and Miles Hale did one. Yes. And uh, we actually had a uh, we had Lionel do the uh, Saturday night um, yep. um, host uh, speaker thing, which was funny because that was about six thirty in the morning for him. So mm-hmm. if you know Lionel, we actually got him out of bed at six o'clock in the morning to. Uh, to unprecedented. do it, so, unprecedented. Yeah, yeah. For someone that doesn't get up till it reaches at least double digits, you know, yes. it's uh, yeah. Anyway, um, uh, so I said to him, he was saying like he wanted to start a virtual region, and you know, the, for for people that were remote from from the general NMRA populace, and um, you know, we nutted out a couple of ideas, and uh, we thought, okay, well, we've done this convention now, maybe the. Uh, Maybe the board and the national will start looking into this technology a bit more, and and basically that was 2018, and nothing happened, nothing happened. So yes. late last year we got talking again, and we said, well, we do streaming, so we use this Webby room that gets people in. How about if we just stream that? Yes, and get different people in to talk, do clinics, yes. and. And that's the the idea, you know, kind of grew. And, you know, and then Gordy grabbed it with both teeth and, you know, he's the marketing <laughs> genius. Off yes. he went. You know? I mean, uh, I just said, you just tell me what you want to do and we'll see if we can find the software yes. uh, at the uh, cost of nothing yes. uh, that can do it and we can put it out. So we did the first one for 24 hours and, no, quite honestly, I thought we were going to get to hour three and everything was going to fall in the heap when no. Facebook would stop. But no, it yeah. went through and everything was fine and uh, the videos all recorded and uh, like we're doing this on a $200 home computer here yep, and we thought, well, you know, yep, everything's fine. So uh, we did the next couple and the next couple and then, of course, the uh, next big test was the one we just did for SER where um, they wanted three rooms in the same uh, platform yes. at the same time. Yes. Uh, so that was a bit of sort of scratching your heads and wondering whether it was going to work or not. And uh, for the first two hours, we had problems with Brad and I. Something with Facebook didn't like the fact that we were both dialing in on the same uh, account. Yeah. Um, and kept dumping us. So as one, soon as one of us dropped off, YouTube was fine. It streamed fine, but. It would uh, Facebook would keep stopping the stream. Can you stream which from means, YouTube into Facebook? I mean, you no, can... no. Well, I use Streamlabs OBS. Okay. And in that, you set two individual accounts. Oh, so from okay. my computer, it's streaming separately. Okay. So all I had to do was stop the stream, go back into OBS, shut off Facebook, 
and just stream to uh, YouTube, yeah. and then that was fine for the rest of the day. So yeah. YouTube is far more friendly to stream Same to way. than um, Facebook. Facebook just yeah, yeah can be a real pain in the in the backside at times. Um, so yeah, and then uh, off we went and we did it. But uh, over the times we've been doing this stuff, yeah, we've had um, you know a lot of people, not only the board but our local regions like Brad and I are in the Australian region mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, we've had people saying, you know, oh, this should be behind a paywall. This should be a paid service from the NMRA. Our idea was, look, the NMRA is losing members. Mm. They want to retain members. Yes. What our idea behind this is member retention. Exactly. And if we bring a few more in, it's value adding to people's membership. Certainly. And that's what it was meant to be. It wasn't meant to be anything else. And it was meant to, and also, we've noticed that we're getting quite a few non-NMRA people in. Fancy that. So I, I believe in the future there probably will be some stuff behind a paywall, mm. but the generic stuff of what we've started, this concept of the clinics and the convention maybe once a month or once, that will be free to everyone mm. to try and attract them into the NMRA. Um, so you know. I, I guess when I spoke to Gordy last the potential here for obviously Trainfest has NMRA components, but the potential for other non-NMRA related shows. And, and people talk about there was a the thing that you mentioned with regards to three rooms was that NMRA connected or was that another show? That was um, that 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 was um, the convention for the southeast region. Okay, so it was NMRA uh, connected, but I it guess, was an N- yeah. yeah. The potential here is that Gordy moves this thing into an independent thing which could do it for anything as well as the NMRA. And that would give potentially some freedom and also an ability to, you know, strengthen the technology. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very interesting times. Um, uh, and certainly hats off to you for everything that you've done with regards to this, Martin, because obviously you've been really the technical backbone for a lot of it. So hats yes, off. Well, we, 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 I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a, I mean, I'm not a you know, software engineer or anything, by the sign, it's just a lot of reading on Google and what mm. a lot of uh, watching a lot of YouTube tutorials on. But the the um, it's the um, online gaming community that are really big yes. into this, and that's yeah. where we've got most of our uh, Brad and I've got most of our help and uh, kind of inspiration uh, for it uh, on there. Uh, but um, yeah, the. Uh, the um, the pressure. I mean, Gordy comes back and has a chat with us after he's had a board meeting or, or the likes, and there's there always seems to be some negativity, you know. Yeah. And Insane. and the other yeah. the other thing is, I mean, basically the whole whole group of us is four in the group. There's Speed, myself, Brad, and Gordy. Basically, yeah. Um, we've never been contacted by the board. No one said anything to us. Yeah. Not even our local well, read. It's interesting because I mean, yeah. when I spoke to Gordy about it last week, he mentioned the fact that speed was part of the open LCB discussions. I mean, there, yeah, it's interesting times. I have to wrap things up. Unfortunately, Martin, I promised my Not wife I'd, I'd get things done by six, <laughs> but um, to be continued, no doubt to be discussed at another stage. And Clark Cooning, always a pleasure to instigate with you. Yeah, I, I just want to make a comment that uh, these guys have done a fantastic job. Yes. And there is no doubt about that. I think the the premise and where it needs to go 
needs to be discussed by the NMRA and their powers and the people who are involved, um, and along with Gordy. And and if he's the contact point, then or he should open it up to have everybody involved with with uh, the discussions. But I think um, uh, it these guys have done a fantastic job, and I know. Um, most, if not all, the NMRA people, and I don't know the board per se anymore, um, but I I know the membership is just uh, um, so thankful for all these guys and Marty. I've I've I mean I've been a part of it uh, along with uh, doing some clinics and and with Speed and these guys, and they're fantastic guys to work with. And, uh, and, uh, Gordy has certainly, uh, put a fantastic show together. And, uh, I hope it does continue in, um, whatever format, uh, uh, it gets worked out as. But, uh, it certainly is, uh, it is a plus. There is no question. But these guys should get kudos beyond, uh, that. So, um, Especially in these times. It's, yeah, I mean, I think more than more than kudos, this stuff, although, it, you know, is described as being amateur, takes a huge amount of time and energy, and with just a little bit of additional money, could, you know, fix a number of the technical issues, which really, you know, shouldn't have bogged mm. things down. Anyway. And I think that's where the hybrid has to maybe yes. come in. There could be money available to help these guys do the production. So, and I'm I'm on the outside, so I have no idea. But I think that's where um, a little discussion with the board and and uh, Gordy and the group. I think they could really come to an agreement and really move this thing forward and and to everybody's benefit. So, um, I really and. Uh, I really believe that. So, and uh, but again, I think these guys deserve a great, great amount of credit. And uh, certainly, uh, the only thing I, I said this to Gordy, I said, you know, the summertime in North America here. Of course, it's winter in the in the, where Marty is, but the summer here, you know, we have especially in the northern group, we we have so many few weekends that when it gets back to the winter time, that's when I think he's going to see really big audiences again. Yeah. So, I mean, as, as I've said, I'll, I'll say it here. It's, uh, doesn't matter what happens. We're, Brad and I are having so much fun. It doesn't matter. We'll keep doing it, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, Mark, and, and that comes through like when, when, uh, was yicking with Brad or for with you or <laughs> speed. Um, you know, as we're sort of waiting for the, for our time slot to come. So it is, uh, it is fantastic to work with you guys when you're doing the clinics. Uh, and, uh, but, uh, and Gordy certainly deserves the, the pat on the back for what he does because he does put a lot of time into it. I just, I just don't want to see bad feelings or something develop. We have to get this worked out. Oh, and, yep. And, uh, Everybody will enjoy and, and move forward with this, uh, and um, sometimes that's what you have to do. As as Marty, as you said, uh, uh, you know, when the board doesn't sometimes move, you, as I've said before, I've mentioned this before on the show a couple of times. You got to take them dragging and screaming into the twentieth century. Yep, and just if you as do we it are from wrapping the grassroots, you know, that's yeah. the way to do it. I think. 
just as we're it, wrapping up here, I see Mike Slater unmute. Mike, did you want to say something before we wrap I, up this topic? Yeah, I was just trying to say if if you guys weren't doing such a great job with NMRX, number one, the, the wise division, I wouldn't have even thought of this idea and presented it to our board of, of doing Train Fest uh, virtually uh, with it. So thank you for everything that you're doing. I know we're looking forward to working with you and your team uh, to bring train train fest virtually. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's all for the benefit in, uh, of the hobby to move that's, it forward. That's right. Yeah. Yep. No, not a problem, Mike. I mean, we're happy to help. I mean, and as Gordy said before, well, any division or any region or any club that wants help in putting this out or doing it, well, you know, it's no secret. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you the YouTube channels to go and watch. <laughs> yeah, but I, I figured a lot of it on my own. But it, sometimes to have somebody that's a little bit more technical savvy than than me helping out with it is is for the better. And I know Tom wants to wrap this up so we can take this uh, uh, post show. Always good. Always good. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure getting people together chatting. Sometimes the topics are a little controversial. I'm talking about HO, Scarlet, radio-controlled cars here specifically, but sometimes also the topics are beneficial, and it was wonderful to uh, catch up with all the folks and uh, wrong classes, new structures. I've got to really keep up to speed with that, particularly if we're going to have a layout design contest in the near future. As I always say, thanks to the folks for their patience as I put these shows out. I'm still going to keep them weekly. I'm still going to continue on the abuse. So they will continue to be weekly. And uh, yeah, a pleasure catching up with everyone this afternoon. And thanks to everyone for listening in. Good evening. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Good night, Tom.